Now, President Moon Jae-in returned home his three-day state visit to Russia on Sunday after meeting with President Vladimir Putin and adapting a joint statement. He also delivered a speech at the Russian Parliament State Duma and watched South Korea's World Cup match against Mexico and the city of Rostov-on-Don. We can now talk more about the Seoul and Kremlin bilateral relations with Professor Artyom Lukin, School of Regional and International Studies at the Far Eastern Federal University in Vladivostok, Russia. Good morning, Professor. Yeah, good morning. Thank you so much for joining this morning. And this marks the first state visit by the South Korean president to Russia in 19 years. The last state visit to Russia was by the former president, late Kim Dae-jung, in 1999. So what do you think it means for the bilateral relations between Russia and South Korea? Well, uh, you got it exactly right. Uh, So Moon Jae-in's visit uh, last week was... uh, South Korean president's uh, first uh, state visit to Russia in almost uh, two decades. And uh, I think uh, that's uh, pretty much uh, significant. It shows that uh, Seoul, uh, under the leadership of uh, Kim Jong-un, is uh, interested in having uh, good relations uh, with Moscow. And uh, for its part, uh, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, is uh, interested to act as a major player uh, on the Korean Peninsula. And President Moon Jae-in became the very first South Korean leader to address the Russian parliament and state Duma. And according to South Korea's media reports, there were three standing ovations and seven applause during the 18-minute speech, which seemed uh, it was very well received. But in your view, how do you think his speech was received? Well, actually, uh, I myself uh, have not counted uh, how many rounds of applause uh, Moon Jae-in's speech uh, attracted. But uh, you're right. Uh, Actually, uh, it's not very common for uh, foreign state leaders to be... uh, to, to, to give speeches at the State Duma, uh, Russia's uh, lower house of uh, parliament. So it's a kind of privilege, it's a kind of uh, mark of respect that Russia accorded to, uh, to Moon Jae-in by giving him this opportunity to, to, to directly address uh, the Russian MPs. Uh, and uh, yeah, I have uh, I have an impression that uh, Moon Jae-in uh, really uh, has a, a very friendly, you know, attitude from uh, from uh, from the Russians, including uh, the members of parliament. Uh, I would say that uh, even uh, I would even say that uh, Moon Jae-in is probably one of the most popular. Of foreign political leaders uh, in Russia right now, uh, and uh, that's one reason he was so warmly received uh, in the Russian parliament. Well, speaking of President Moon, I understand that you think the visit to Russia shows President Moon Jae-in's pragmatism, and how can you elaborate that? Well, I think you, you would agree with me that uh, Moon Jae-in uh, has always been a very, you know, pragmatic uh, politician. I mean, uh, pragmatic in positive terms. Uh, 
if a politician wants to achieve uh, results, uh, they have to be pragmatic, right? And uh, I think uh, this is uh, the way, uh, exactly the way that uh, Moon Jae-in acts in. So uh, his uh, overriding uh, objective uh, is to move towards you know, normalization on the Korean Peninsula is to advance uh, the goal of eventual uh, reunification uh, of the Korean nation. And so Moon Jae-in is ready to engage uh, anyone, to engage any party that might be helpful in achieving this uh, top objective uh, for, for him. And uh, Russia, uh, uh, Russia's uh, influence on the Korean Peninsula, yes, it may be uh, smaller uh, than China's influence, for example, than America's uh, leverage, for example. But still, Russia is a significant uh, uh, force uh, on the peninsula. It has some stakes uh, in, Korean fa- in Korean affairs. It has some leverage o- over North Korea. So uh, Moon Jae-in uh, needs to have uh, good relations uh, with Russia, even despite the fact uh, that Russia's, uh, Russia is uh, in you know very tense uh, in a tense relationship with the West right now. So Moon Jae-in basically uh, ignores uh, this Russia's conflict with the West and goes uh, to Moscow because he understands that. Uh, uh, he needs to have Russian support for his uh, uh, policy objectives. That's why I call him pragmatic. Mm-hmm. So you actually has uh, emphasized the importance of the relationship between Russia and Korea over the Korean Peninsula. And many experts at the U.S. and North Korea summit, which was held in June 12th in Singapore, was full of spectacle but it lacks in substances. As an international relations professor yourself, what would be your comment on this? Well, uh, yes, there is a lot of criticism, especially uh, in the U.S. Uh, on the uh, on the outcomes uh, of the Singapore uh, June 12 summit. Uh, well, uh, I personally don't share uh, this criticism. I think that the Singapore summit uh, was uh, not only uh, about show, was not only about spectacle. Spectacle. Uh, it was a uh, it was a big step uh, towards uh, towards uh, normalization uh, on the Korean Peninsula. And yes, uh, no specific uh, commitments, uh, no specific timelines were achieved. Uh, uh, on June the 12th in Singapore, but we would be very naive to expect that uh, a comprehensive, detailed agreement uh, could be nailed down in just one short meeting. So the significance uh, of the Singapore summit uh, is that uh, it's, it was just uh, the first uh, but a real step uh, to to initiate uh, uh, to initiate a negotiations process between uh, the U.S. and the DPRK, and uh, it's significant that uh, Chairman Xi, uh, Kim, and President Trump 
they see, uh, they seemed to you know strike it off. They developed a good personal relationship, and uh, of course, this raises uh, the chances that the U.S. and North Korea uh, will be able to ultimately find uh, a, a mutually acceptable uh, solution. So I do think that the Singapore summit was, was quite useful uh, in this regard. And uh, there are rising expectations over the Trans-Eurasia Railroad as well as further economic cooperation with Russia's Far East and resuming the Najin Hansan project suspended a few years ago. As a matter of fact, the South Korean uh, working force and North Korean working force has met yesterday to talk about the railroad issue. So anything that you're particularly excited for? Well, actually, uh, those uh, trilateral projects are like uh, railway uh, connecting Russia and the Korean Peninsula, like, you know, a uh, pipeline from uh, Russia to, to South Korea going through the north, or our North Station electricity supergrid, uh, including... Uh, uh, Russia. All those projects have been around for uh, for almost two decades, uh, in my memory. And uh, you know, uh, this makes me uh, to 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 be cautious uh, in my assessments. Uh, they have been uh, discussed uh, for uh, you know twenty years already, and nothing. Uh, has been am- implemented so far. So, yeah, I think uh, it's a good sign that uh, these projects have uh, resurfaced again, that they are again uh, under discussion. And uh, in the joint statement uh, of Putin and uh, Moon, uh, there are... Uh, uh, there is an agreement, there was an agreement that uh, Russia and South Korea would, you know, uh, start assessing, would uh, start studying uh, these trilateral projects. Uh, but uh, there is a very uh, big, uh, you know, there is a very long distance uh, from, you know, assessments to, uh, to the start of uh, concrete uh, implementation of, of such projects. And uh, the main issue here to me is who is going to fund, who is going to finance those projects. Uh, For example, take uh, the idea of a uh, natural gas pipeline from from Russia to to South Korea. Uh, So the longest section of this pipeline uh, uh, clearly uh, is going through, uh, will go through North Korea. So who will finance uh, this section of pipeline. Uh, uh, clearly, uh, uh, it's not going to be uh, North Korea. Uh, Russia. Uh, how about Russia? Uh, I don't think Russia is going to to, to, to pick up the tab, uh, because uh, Russia and Russia's gas corporation, Gazprom, uh, they now have to operate under very tight uh, uh, budget, uh, you know, constraints. So, uh, uh, it leaves us with uh, 
of the option of South Korean financing. But will the South Korean government or, or South Korean corporations uh, be, be ready to, uh, to underwrite uh, all the risks uh, that uh, such a project uh, involves. Uh, 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 after all, this project costs billions and billions uh, of dollars. Uh, so, uh, who is going to assume all the financial risks uh, involved uh, in, in the pipeline and uh, other uh, trilateral projects? Uh, that's uh, the most important question uh, for, for me right now, because without money, obviously, you, you can't do anything. As for, uh, as for the Najin Hassan uh, project that uh, you mentioned, too, I think this one is much more realistic, is much more feasible, just because this uh, rail link which connects... Uh, uh, Russia with North Korean uh, port of Rajan, uh, this uh, rail link uh, is already operational. Uh, it became operational in 2013. So uh, it can now be used uh, technically without no problems. And Russia actually uh, uses uh, this uh, railway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the problem is uh, that uh, South Korea uh, withdrew from this project uh, a few years ago when the situation on the Korean Peninsula uh, escalated. So uh, the point is to uh, bring uh, the South Korean business uh, back uh, into this project. Okay, uh, it um, will not require a lot of investment. I think okay. that's realistic, mm-hmm. yes. Thank you, Professor. I'm sorry we're running out of time, but thank you so much for joining this morning. And coming up, we have the latest report on the nuclear weapons around the world.